Top Turtle MMA podcast on FlowCombat.com is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguard. Sisu makes the world's most thinnest, lightest, durable mouthguard ever invented. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink, all with the mouthguard in your mouth. It's truly amazing. Head on over to SISUGuard.com. Find the right mouthguard for your sport or activity. Sisu is not your grandmama's mouthguard. Get yourself a Sisu Mouthguard, fool. We are rolling. I am David Tremonti, joined as always by my co-host Daniel Gumby Vreeland. They call him Gumby because he's quite flexible when it comes to the jiu-jitsu. We are Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Of course, we're available on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever a podcast is being streamed. And of course, the mothership, FlowCombat.com. Gumby, one of the things we pride ourselves on is getting right into it. And here's what I want to start with. The flyweight division of the UFC sucks. Ray Borg misses his fight last week because of diarrhea. He was only getting the title fight because he had two unanimous decision wins in a row. One might have actually been a split, but bottom line is he had two decision wins in a row. This was not an exciting title challenger. I know you love Ray Borg. I love Ray Borg. Very jitsy, very grappler heavy. I respect that. But as far as a pay-per-view headliner... Nah, not really doing it for me. And then he misses weight anyway. The whole thing's a shit show. No one cares about Demetrius Johnson. We've seen him lose at 135 pounds. It's like he went down and hid at 125 pounds. No one can make the weight. I thought the most exciting fighter was what's-his-name at 125, and he had to come up to 135 because he couldn't make the weight. Who am I thinking of? You're thinking of... um Hands of Stone. John Lineker. John Lineker. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) but no one can make the freaking weight. Collapse the division, make Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson face someone good like TJ Dillashaw, uh, Dominic Cruz, Cody Garbrandt. These are really good mixed martial arts fighters. 125 just doesn't have that. Who's the best person Demetrius Johnson has beat? Joseph Benavidez? Great. Who's the best person Joseph Benavidez has beat? I've talked Henry too long. Cejudo. You say something. Uh, so, you know what? You, you said an interesting point in there where you were talking about mighty mouse hiding and and, you know like this is the division that he's supposed to be in weight wise all this time to an extent is he hiding from from like really killer challengers i mean people have argued that with tj dillashaw but here's my question if he went up to 35 say say he stopped quote-unquote hiding or they did end the division like dana white pretended to threaten for a little while say he goes up to 35 do you think he does any worse than he's doing right now at 35 I think you would definitely do worse. Yeah, because 35 is so much more stacked. And let's go one by... But but who who do you think... So you can go with your one by one idea, because now that I've realized that's what you're going to do, that's actually what I wanted to do. Uh, Okay, so let's just go... Let's look at the top seven. All right. Who's a better just MMA fighter, Brandon Moreno or Aljamain Sterling? Oh, Aljamain Sterling. Juicy A Formiga or Brian Caraway? Uh, Brian Caraway. Wilson Hayes and John Lineker. John Lineker. Sergio Pettis or Rafael Asensio, who reeled off seven wins in a row at one point in his career. I might say Sergio Pettis on that one. I'll give you that. I, I might say Sergio Pettis because just because I think he's on the way he's up. He's on the way up. And, and Asensio's on the way down. Ray Borg or Jimmy Rivera? Jimmy Rivera. Henry Cejudo or TJ Dillashaw? TJ. TJ Dillashaw. And uh, Henry Cejudo this weekend made me think twice about that one because Henry Cejudo re- reminded us all that he knows how to punch a motherfucker and uh, it w- at least makes me think twice. But but TJ Dillashaw, you're right. Yeah, and then Joseph Benavidez, Dominic Cruz. So And Dominic Cruz, one of the all-time best. Here's the thing. I think if Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson faced 
the top seven at bantamweight, I could conceivably see him losing to five of them, and I'll tell you who. Uh, I think he would lose to Dominic Cruz, because I've already seen it. I think he would lose to TJ Dillashaw, but it would be close. I think Jimmy Rivera could beat him. I think Jimmy J- Rivera beats him every time. Uh, I think John Lineker could beat him if he connected. but uh, I would say John Lineker, I would give that one to Mighty Mouse pretty handedly, actually. Okay, that's fine. And I think Aljamain Sterling could beat Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Yeah, I think so, too. Who is, so who are, you, who are you giving him? You're giving him John Lineker and... And uh, Brian Carraway. <laughs> Brian Carraway. Even Brian Carraway might grapple fuck him to death. Yeah, but how many times have we heard that story about Mighty Mouse Johnson? But... Gonna grapple fucking but it is a bigger person, not sucking down to 125. Demetrius yeah, I mean, Mighty Mouse Johnson doesn't have an advantage. That's bigger, though, though right? Like, well, I mean, it's it's not like Dominic Cruz bigger, who's walking around looking like he's like six foot fucking eight in the fucking bantamweight division. You know, Brian Caraway's a he's a big guy, but I wouldn't say that he's like astronomically bigger than Mighty Mouse. Yeah, I'm having the intern look it up. Bottom line, I just don't give a fuck about Mighty Mouse. I'm done talking about it. it it's I'm... weird. That, it's weird that people have gotten to this place too. Because so, so we've we've talked about this over and over again. Just because people don't care about the lighter weights, it, it's a little bit of a shame because there's talent down there. But but I only and and I'm with you on this. I'm, I like don't get jacked up for his fights anymore. But is there a reason to that? Because well, like because like people say that he doesn't finish fights. He's finished a ton of fights. Mm-hmm. Right, like he's submitted good jujitsu guys. He's knocked out good strikers. You know, like he he he's done it all. It, it, people say that you can't follow a dominant champion. Please explain to me why I watch GSP with bated breath for year after year after year after year while he just steamrolled everybody. Did the same thing with Anderson Silva, right? So, like, what is it well, that about him? There's less room for error because it's bigger people. Yeah, I mean, GSP I so. faced people who could knock him out in one shot, whereas mm. Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, you know, you might as well be watching the women's strawweight division. Yeah, the, the so it's the one-shotness that, that we don't care about. I, th- I think there is a lack of finishes, KO, TKO finishes at 125, and the stats back that up, and yeah. I think people subconsciously, that registers in their brain. And I also think, look, Gumby, you're fucking, what do you walk around at? I walk around at like 205, 210. Okay, you're very good at jiu-jitsu. There's a pretty good possibility that you could defend yourself and beat up a professional UFC flyweight fighter just based on size and the limited, not limited, but the amount of grappling you have. You're that, obviously an awful striker. That, that, yeah, I've never the, taken a... For, okay, so for the record, too, for people who are listening and who are like, who the fuck are these assholes uh, claiming they could beat a profile? I am a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. I've been doing jiu-jitsu it's for, a, hold on. for like is, seven no, 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 years. No, no, don't stop. Like, stop, stop. You don't need to do that. This isn't about street cred, and I didn't mean but, to take it there either. But, but you are, just based on how big you are, a 125-pound man who walks around at like 137... You're 70, 80 pounds yeah. bigger than him. That, who wants to so, watch so that? So it's hard for somebody who's my who size to get jacked fuck? up about? Who cares? At least at least we know TJ Dillashaw walks around at about 150, right? Yeah, so he, 150, could, he could probably five. fucking that's knock like, my ass out. That's normal yeah, man shit, okay. and he would light your face up. Yeah, yeah within four <laughs> seconds. I just think, I don't know, this would be interesting. Could Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson beat up an average 220-pound person? Quickly? Yeah. How quickly are we giving him? Because I'm saying if, if the average 220-pound person, I bet you he beats the piss out of him. I agree. 
but a guy with with some jujitsu experience, with some guy with some basic striking experience. I, I would say like a, a college wrestler at two twenty five. No is, chance. And this is why I'm good. I'm just good. Yeah. I, I'm I'm done with the flyweight division. I love the bantamweight division. It's stacked. There's so many great fighters here. Thomas Almeida's ranked number nine. I like. Although him. he just got smoked by by Jimmy Rivera. Rob Font number thirteen. Yeah. And, you know, let's go to number thirteen. Pantoja at flyweight. Oh, I do like Pantoja though. He's exciting. Yeah. Submission game. Yeah. I don't know, man. Hey, you know what else I don't like besides the flyweight division? This uh the lack of exciting cards for the UFC this year. <laughs> yeah. Uh they announced a couple of fights for MSG. Uh we obviously have JJ defending her title against Rose Nami Yunus. They said Mickey Gall versus what's his name? Brown. Randy Brown. Randy Brown. But this is not stacking up to be what last year was with Connor and Eddie Alvarez and Woodley. And, oh, I don't uh, know with the with the two title fights or three title well, fights. I'm not I'm not that excited about Bisping GSP. <sighs> What's the third one? Uh, Thrilla Shaw versus Garbrand. That's a great fight. Yeah, which is a great fight. So Thrilla Shaw and Garbrand, Nama Yunus, JJ, and then the Freak Show title fight at middleweight. You're right. I don't I don't think it stacks up to last November. Or was it December? November. It was November. November. But bottom line is, what's been the best card this year for pay-per-view? Not, uh, oh, I guess two Jones Cormier. Jones Cormier, well, which, which is tainted. Yes, very tainted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's been an awful fucking year. Yeah, man. And it's crazy to think about it, too, because I you almost assumed with all this money coming in from Williams Morris Endeavors... That they would just be trying to pump out like crazy good pay-per-view products. I don't think they know how to run a fucking MMA organization. Yeah. Now, Woodley Maya was boring as shit. And then you had Cyborg with the bully beatdown of Tanya Evinger. Robbie Lawler, Donald Cerrone was great. And then Ozdemir KOing Manoa. Yeah, 214 was the it, preeminent it, card of the year. Yeah, but like, if you ask me after that... Uh... What was the Stipe versus Dos Anjos card? Or, or Dos Santos? Dos Santos? Yeah, yeah. He didn't fight Dos Anjos. Um, <laughs> yeah. Was that this year even? Yes, it was. Okay. So maybe that. <laughs> so memorable. Yeah, maybe that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I just, uh, the whole thing, is it's been a bad year. I think Habib, and honestly, I think Habib versus Tony Ferguson getting canceled in oh. Buffalo, that was the real killer because that was the fight everyone was then excited it about. The Holly Home card that was uh, just atrocious. Was it a Holly Home card? Yeah, I think th- that became the main event in Buffalo, did it not? No, oh, that no, no, was no. the main event in Bro- that, that was, was another that was disaster Brooklyn. card. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's been disaster card after disaster card. I don't know. I'm disappointed. Well, we'll talk about another disaster card later tonight because, uh, yeah, good. we'll be talking, breaking down UFN Pittsburgh. Yeah, good good segue. So we will talk to Justin Scoggins now, speaking of the flyweight division, which I hate. No offense to Justin Scoggins. Well, he has fought like at Bantamweight, too, and he actually chats a little bit with us about uh, if they did, for some reason, ditch the flyweight division, which he trusts they won't. Uh, he, he does have a future at Bantamweight if, he, if that ever did happen. So. Perfect. So we'll talk to him about that, and then on the other side of the break, we will break down another show shitty UFC card. This interview is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguard. Sisu makes the world's thinnest, strongest, most lightweight mouthguard ever invented. You could talk, you could breathe, you can drink, all with the mouthguard in your mouth. Head on over to SISUguard.com. Sisu Mouthguards brings you our interview with UFC flyweight fighter Justin Scoggins. 
This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and we have the pleasure of speaking to Justin Tank Scoggins, who fights Tim Elliott at UFC on Fox 26 in Winnipeg on December 16th. Uh, Justin, we're, we're fresh off of a weekend that was supposed to kind of be a big weekend for your division, where uh, Mighty Mouse was going to defend his title for a record 11th time. Uh, Borg got sick and missed that fight. It would be weird for us to start a day after that talking with anything but about that division. What do you think this does to the flyweight division? And do you think Borg gets another shot after that? Uh, I mean, I don't think it does much to the flyweight division. I mean, everybody was really wanting to see other fights, I think, with Demetrius anyways. And this was just something for him to kind of stay busy and to break his record and stuff. But I was really excited to see the fight. I, I thought Borg was going to bring a lot more to the table than people because I fought Borg, so I know what he's capable of. I know he's a good fighter. I thought he was going to bring a lot more to the table than people were expecting. But, you know, things don't play out, but sometimes it just creates more drama and people like that. So, you know, it'll, it'll get set up whether, you know, Cejudo looked good last night, so he might have another rematch. That'd be a good a good fight, a rematch with Cejudo or one of these big fights people are talking about. But, you know, everybody just needs to stay busy in the division, really. Yeah, and uh, you know, and that, that was kind of the other thing that I was going to talk about too. You know, the, there's been all of this talk about the featherweight division sort of being, uh, you know, one foot in the grave. Uh, Dana White's talked about getting rid of it, although that might have been just a negotiation tactic. Is that something that at any point in time during this whole thing worried you as a flyweight? Well, no, not really. I mean, I like competing at flyweight. It's, a, I think, it's a really good division. I think it showcases what like what technique and speed can really look like to its fullest in MMA. So, I mean, I think that's a big highlight of it. And it would suck for it to get shut down, but, I mean, I feel comfortable fighting at 25 or 35. So, I mean, either way, I think I'm still going to be getting fights, and I'm still going to be working my way towards a world title in either division. Yeah, and your, your last or uh, two fights ago against Munoz was at uh, Bantamweight, too. So, so you have fought there somewhat recently. Let's talk about some of your last two fights because uh, obviously they're they're hard fought losses uh, and it's you know a little bit disappointing to be on a skid especially when you look so good in in a couple of those fights. You're facing another submission specialist after facing two in a row like that. Uh, is there anything you know? You're still three months out of the fight, but is there anything you're thinking about preparing wise, getting ready for another submission specialist? Is there anything you're doing in training that's like mixing it up so that you might get a different result? I mean, it's just really continuing to grow my ground game and, I mean, and, and get it to where it mixes in with all, all the other things that I'm trying to do because when you have a lot of skills, you got a lot of attacks that you're trying to set up. and I mean, you, you put yourself in bad positions sometimes without even thinking about it. So, I mean, it's really just about growing the overall game and, you know, listening to my coaches and staying in positions where uh, I, I know the the odds are better in my favor. Mm-hmm. And we saw that you did go uh, do some some temporary training at Alpha Male, uh, sort of to prepare while you were waiting for a fight announcement. Was there anything big you picked up there, or uh, something you'd like to to implement into your game plan? I mean, they did, all all of their guys there are really tough. They got a lot of a, a lot of talent in their room. So I mean, really, it's it's just a bunch of guys that can always keep you in bad positions. So when you go to a big camp like that, where they've got a bunch of partners like that you're constantly getting put in those bad positions to where you're constantly fighting out of them and building up that, uh, that reaction to, to those situations. Uh, I mean, it's really, I really feel like it's just like the team atmosphere they have out there. It's really, it's really good for, uh, for fighters, man. You learn, you learn quick. Yeah. 
and, and, and being in bad positions is really important uh, and having those like really, really high level training partners. Now, not that you don't have good training partners where you're at, but is it something that you've considered to go make a move to a place like Alpha Male or American Top Team where you're at like a bigger camp and have much more training partners? Well, you know, I've been a lot of places training. I've trained at a lot of the best gyms in the country and stuff. But, I mean, really what, what, I, what I like to do is I like to, I like to go places and, you know, return home with what I learned. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, like to, I like to fight out of the hometown. I like to, you know, help the guys that have been helping me out throughout my whole career, continue mm-hmm. to help them grow and stuff. But there are those times where you do need to go get out and, you know, take a couple weeks or a whole training camp and go try something new. But, I like to I like to come back home afterwards. Yeah. So and and you know you mentioned uh, that hometown atmosphere. So let's talk a little bit more about fighting out of home too. Your wife Hannah is also a, a fairly polished MMA fighter. She's an amateur at four and one. Uh, she's been getting a lot of publicity, uh, especially on on our site Flow Combat. What what are some of the benefits to having a wife uh, who also fights MMA? It just makes everything run a lot smoother because she knows how I she knows what I need. You know, I know I mean, I've been in this game longer than most, so I know what she needs as far as like training and uh, you know c- keeping a cool head before big fights and stuff, and kind of helping coach her through that that aspect and helping her grow as a fighter. And I mean, she helps me with my diet and stuff, like keeps keeps me on track where I don't get get too chunky in the off season and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, you know, one more question, kind of to follow up on that. What is it like to uh, to watch your wife walk into a cage knowing she's about to throw down? Oh, it's exciting, man. I mean, I really, you know, we have a lot in common, so I kind of can get in her head a little bit, and it's it's it helps me learn a lot about myself because I see how calm and cool she looks walking into a fight, and I'm like, well, you know, she's ready. <laughs> I can tell she's ready. She trains really hard. It just kind of gives me an, a look at kind of help me help me understand myself better i guess because uh we're, we're just so much alike when we go out there nice and uh so I, I got one more question because you you mentioned uh that she helps you uh with your diet and to make sure you're not getting uh too chunky in between fights i, I gotta ask you about the nickname man because i've never heard the origin story of the nickname tank on a guy who fights at 125 pounds so how did you get the nickname tank <laughs> fighting at such a lightweight uh, it actually came from uh, one of my karate instructors. His name is David Painter. Well, one of my first ones I ever had. Uh, I used to watch the UFCs when I was really little. My favorite fighter was always Tank Abbott. <laughs> so, uh, so I, w- I would try to emulate him in class. You know, like we get a sparring gear on and we get a sparring stuff. And I would just, I would just run over kids, just throwing huge haymakers, <laughs> and going, going for, going for big slam takedowns and stuff. So everybody was like, man, he really does fight like Tank. <laughs> so I mean, it's stuck. It, I, it's literally been my nickname since I was like four or five years old. Wow! And uh, yeah, so you you definitely didn't wind up with the physique or fighting style of Tank Abbott now, but uh, an interesting origin story, nevertheless. Yeah, but dude, t- people don't realize, man. If you go back and watch Tank Abbott's like early fights, he was sick. Mm-hmm. Like he he transitioned from his striking into his wrestling really good. The dude was just never in shape. He was completely <laughs> out of shape. But I mean, if dude, if you really like, kind of like watch some of the stuff he did, like the transitions are sick. Yeah, and and I think people uh, underestimate that about the early days of MMA. While they're you know definitely more uh, one style type fighters, there were plenty of guys who were piecing it together like Tank Abbott. Um, that freak show nature just kind of took away from what we thought of their skills. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, Justin, it's it's been great catching up with you, talking about uh, your upcoming fight and uh, past fights there. Uh, Justin fights at UFC on Fox 26 in Winnipeg on December 16th. Justin, we wish you the best of the luck in that fight. Heck yeah, dude. Thank you. It was good talking to you. There you have it, Justin Scoggins. And uh, enjoyed taking a trip down memory lane with him there, uh, talking a little bit about Tank Abbott uh, and his love for Tank Abbott. He certainly doesn't look like Tank Abbott, uh, but apparently five-year-old version of him used to fight like Tank Abbott. That was a good story. I like that. Um, all right, let's turn our attention. Let's take a trip down to Pittsburgh because David Branch and Luke Rockhold are headlining a fight night card there this Saturday. And in the main event, you could get David Branch as a plus 360 dog against Luke Rockhold the former champion we have not seen him since bisping upset him last june for the title a minus 450 favorite who you got i I gotta go with luke rockhold as much as i like the story of branch uh you know fight for the ufc going two and two getting let go going and just dominating shit in world series of fighting uh getting his call back and beating a ranked fighter in christoph jocko in his first fight uh back in the ufc i love the story but at the same time like He's super wrestle heavy. You know what I mean? Like, for me, his fights are all when he can impose his will. And there is not a bigger man in the middleweight division than Luke Rockhold. Yes. I'm very convinced of that. I've stood next to the man. And, you know, we talked earlier in the show. I weigh 210 pounds. I'm like six foot two, maybe six foot three. He is much bigger than me. Much bigger than me. He's a big boy. Uh, big boy. So, so Dave Branch isn't going to impose his will on him. So he's going to have to strike with him. And, and I just can't imagine that going well for, for David Branch. Uh, the co-main event is Mike Platinum Perry, a minus 145 favorite, taking on Tiago Alves, the grizzled veteran, a plus 125 dog. Who do you got there? Well, this one's tough because they're both such powerful strikers. The only thing I, I worry about with Alves is his inability to put people away as of late. I feel like he hasn't like had that like signature knockout in a while and, and you might need to like Google him for me and, and see how long it's been since he's like put somebody on their ass. But I, I mean, just, you know, thinking about what Mike Perry's done since he's been in the UFC, you know, he did lose that decision to Alan Joban, but like he fucking crushed Jake Ellenberger. He crushed Danny Hot Chocolates Roberts. You know, like this is a guy who's been knocking people out and knocking him out hard for a while. And, and, Alves isn't going to grapple him up. So, again, we're going to see this one on the feet. If Alves can't put him away, Perry's power lasts till late in fights. He's gotten KOs late in fights. He knocked out Roberts with, like, 20 seconds to go. Well, you bring up a good point because Alves's last uh, KO or TKO was a body kick to Jordan Mean, which, if I recall correctly, no, that was a legit body kick. I wasn't sure if Mean actually got injured, but that was in January of 2015. Then, to get another KO or TKO victory, you'd have to go all the way back to 2008 Matthews. Yeah, and but, see, isn't that crazy? And, like... I'm not saying he's not a good striker because he's a fucking dangerous striker and he like lights people up and picks people apart, but he's going to have to stand there in there with a dude who's trying to take your head off with every single fucking strike he throws. All right. What else do you like on this card, Gumby? Give us a fight or give us a fighter to watch out for. So I've always been a huge fan of Justin Ledette. I think he's what the heavyweight division needs. He's a young challenger, good boxing, and is not afraid to grapple to, and has shown he's a really good grappler. So he's, uh, I think he's probably on the main card for this one. Uh, He is. Yeah, and he's fighting a late replacement, which is kind of a bummer. He's fighting uh, Azunya Aniyanwu. Who you could get as a plus 300 dog, Ledette the minus 360 favorite. Yeah, and... and, Anyanu, 
was uh, he was on the first Dana White Contender Series. He got a win over Greg Ribello. So he's like a pretty legit dude, but I, I like Justin Ledet and I love watching Justin Ledet. The other one to watch there is Luke Sanders. He's not ranked in his division, but you got to remember, he torched Eerie Alcantara for almost two full rounds until he left his knee dangling behind and Alcantara tapped him out. If that fight lasts one more round and Sanders just holds on for five more minutes, the dude's 12-0 and with some badass wins. So I, I really like Luke Sanders out of MMA Lab. He's fighting Felipe Arantes. And you can get Luke Sanders as a minus 235 favorite to Felipe Arantes, the plus 195 dog. Anyone else? Yeah, I like uh, Olivia Aubin, Mercier. Uh, you know, he's always fun to watch. He's a fun little grappler. And Kamara Usman, uh, also, you know, pretty good at, at locking up subs, too. OAM, a minus 120 favorite to Tony Martin, a plus 100. And Kamara Usman, a minus 650 favorite <laughs> to Sergio Morris, a plus 475 dog. We'll be back next week. We hope you enjoy these fights. I thought it was a shitty card, but you know what? You kind of convinced me there are at least a few good fighters on this card. So, hey, enjoy the fights. I'm David Tremonti. He's Daniel Gumby Vreeland. This was Top Turtle MMA podcast.